Welcome everyone to Mosaic. If this is your first time, special welcome to you. My name is Dave, one of the pastors here. It's my honor and privilege to serve uh, today and bring you today's word. Um, if you were here last week, you know that we ended um, our sermon last week by saying that we're going to take one step of obedience together as a congregation because walking in obedience is how we're going to get closer to the Lord. And so I just want to remind you of that and just encourage you, keep walking um, in the Lord, in the Spirit, and your acts of obedience will help you to know the heart of God more and more. Um, and so if you're new, uh, we have been in the Reconnecting with God series at the beginning of this year, and it's a series through the Psalms. And uh, today, I want to talk to you about one way that we connect with the Lord, um, one really special way that he's designed for us to get close to him, and that way is through praise, through praise. And today's Psalm, Psalm 30, helps us to understand God's heart of praise. And so if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to look at Psalm 30. I'm going to read the first five verses of Psalm 30, and we're going to look at this command to praise um, together. And so Psalm 30, I'm going to read you from uh, verses 1 to 5, okay? This is the word of the Lord. He says, I will exalt you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you have healed me. O Lord, you brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. This is the word of the Lord. <clears throat> if you've been with us, we've been yeah, talking about reconnecting uh, with the Lord, and one of the main ways he's designed for us to do that is through our praise. And it's really important that we learn how to praise. Um, praise is so important uh, to our spiritual lives. Um, it's really a heartbeat in our walk with God. And so if your life is a movie, I feel like praise is the color uh, to the movie. And at the beginning of the year, we talked about how uh, the one who wants to be near to the Lord is close to his word because his word is life and food and nutrients. Um, If the word is food and nutrients, praise is like the flavor and the indulgence of our faith. And we talked about a secret friendship with God. Um, Praise is the music in our relationship with God. It's the heartbeat underneath all of these things. And so we need to to learn how to praise God. Because praise is, as important as it is, often forgotten. Or we can lose our heart of worship really easily. And so actually today in our psalm, we're going to talk about the discipline of praise, the discipline of praise. And that's the title of today's sermon. And you might not have heard it that way. I don't think I've I've heard it that way either. But here, David actually commands us to praise and talks to us about how to discipline our lives in order to praise God. Because when we have a discipline of praise, we are able to connect with God on a consistent basis. And so today, I'm just going to walk through this psalm with you. And the first half of the sermon, we're going to talk about why David is praising God. And he says, I praise God because he saved me from Sheol. He saved me from Sheol. So we're going to talk about that. And then the second half, I want to get real practical um, and give you three disciplines for praise in your life. And by doing that, I think we'll all be able to take one more step in reconnecting with the Lord together. Will you pray with me? Let's pray. Father, we give you honor and praise because you deserve all of it, but we just want to confess that praise and honor is also hard for us at times. 
Some of us are in seasons where praise is nowhere near our lips. We pray, O oh God, that you would come and you would bring the praise and honor of our Lord Jesus Christ back to us. And I pray that today, that through the praise and through the word, that you would knock down strongholds in our life. We pray that the word of God today would lead us to a kind of praise that brings down strongholds that have been keeping us from you. We trust that you'll do this. And so we just take a posture of reception, humility before you, and wait for your word to minister to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. So the first half of the sermon, we're going to look at saved from Sheol. If you're reading um, on a Bible, you might see a heading there. It says that Psalm 30 is the, a song of dedication for the temple. Um, but many of you know that David wasn't around for the temple and his son Solomon, he was the one who built the temple. All that means is that this was written by David before, but this was the psalm that they felt that they needed to sing when the temple was completed. When they dedicated the temple, they felt that this was the song that needed to be sung when the temple finally was raised. Because this, if you look at it, is a psalm of amazing praise and worship. And so they picked this psalm when that day finally came that the temple was erected. And when you look at the, the psalm, the center of why David feels that he has to praise the Lord is this. He says, oh Lord, you have brought my soul up from Sheol. You have brought my soul up from Sheol. That's why I have to praise you. And every week, we've been trying to learn something about the Psalms together, <clears throat> a little Psalms class, if you will. And today, I want to teach you something about the Psalms. And today, I want to teach you about this concept of Sheol, this concept of Sheol. When you read the Psalms, you see this come up again and again, and you might see the term Sheol, or you might see the pit, or you might see the depths, or something similar to that. And as you try to get familiar with the Psalms, you try to understand what this means. Uh, the word Sheol <clears throat> literally means sunk in or buried. And I guess the easiest way to describe it is this is where uh, the Hebrews believe the souls go after you die. But it's different from how we believe it. You see, Sheol is not exactly heaven and it's not exactly hell. Uh, the way that the, the Hebrews understood the world is different than the way that we understand the world. Um, and understanding of the world and how it's shaped and everything could be called cosmology. And so I want to show you a picture of Hebrew cosmology, what they thought the world looked like. And so I have a picture up here <clears throat> for you. And uh, some of you might have seen this. And this is kind of the Hebrew conception of what the world is like. Again, uh, this is not a scientific understanding per se, but when you put together the things in the Old and New Testament, particularly the Old Testament, this is kind of what you get. If you look on top here, you see something called the firmament of heaven. And that comes from Genesis 1-6. If you remember in the creation story, God says, let there be an expanse or a firmament that separates the waters above from the waters below. And um, you're like, what does, what does that mean? What waters, right? But what that means is he's separating the sky or the heavens from the waters below. And the firmament is almost like this glass that they pictured uh, above them looking up. And so <clears throat> the Hebrews weren't round earthers or flat earthers. They were kind of like, like snow globers, right? That's what it, it looks like a snow globe to me. Um, and that, this is how they pictured the world. And the firmament above has these openings. And it was through these openings that during Noah's flood that the Lord opened up the heavens. It says, opened up the heavens and the waters came down for 40 days and 40 nights. <clears throat> now, for us, it's just H2O. 
But for them and their cosmology, the water coming from heaven in Noah's flood is far more serious than just water because it's water that's not supposed to exist in this world, coming down in judgment down to us. The firmament of heaven, and then when you read Malachi, he talks about the windows of heaven opening up. Then you look down here and you see it says the pillars of the earth. Uh, They pictured these pillars because, you know, God says to Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the world, right? The pillars of the earth. And they also wonder in the Old Testament, what holds up the pillars of the earth? If the pillars of the earth hold up the earth, what holds up the pillars? You see, this is their understanding of cosmology. And I could talk about this forever. It's fascinating how they understood. But what, all I really want to f- help you focus on is this is Sheol right here in the middle. Right underneath the earth, they pictured a place called Sheol. And the thing about Sheol is there's a finality to Sheol. It's a place where you are locked in the gates and there's no way out. The opposite of Sheol, you would think, is heaven, but not not really. Um, I would say that when I read the Old Testament, the opposite of Sheol is the promised land. Um, That in the promised land is where you eat milk and drink honey, and in Sheol is where you eat dust and ashes. For them, they didn't think about the world exactly like us, and Sheol was this place where you were locked in to this finality. And inside of Sheol, there is death, and there is no remembrance of God. That's the one thing about Sheol that I really want to point out to you, is that in Psalm 6-5, he says this, In death, there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? Sheol is a place where they don't remember God. They don't think about God. They don't consider God. And because they don't remember God, there is no praise to God. There's no honoring God, and there's no worship of God. They're in this deep, dark, emotional place. And David says, I praise you, O Lord, because you have saved me from Sheol. Now, David's not dead, obviously, when he writes this. So what's he talking about? He's saying that he's in this state of mind and this emotional state where he feels like he is in Sheol. And all the things about Sheol that he knows, he feels like he is there. It's a metaphor for how he feels in his heart. And he says, I was there in the season of finality. Have you ever been there? Where you feel like you're in this dark place and you just don't, can't even imagine how God's going to get you out. It feels like there's a real finality to the bad place that you're in. And that the depression and the darkness that you're feeling, you feel like this is it. This is where I'm going to live forever. He felt like he was in Sheol, a place he could never come back from. But this song of praise in the psalm, uh, in Psalm 30, is coming out of this place where he has been rescued from this season in his life where it actually wasn't final, where he didn't think about God in this place, but God remembered him. That's another thing about Sheol that I want to point out to you. It seems like from the Psalms, there, there is no remembrance of God from Sheol, but God remembers them. It's like they don't remember God, but God remembers them. Remember Psalm 139? Some of you guys know this. Psalm 139, he says this, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. Even though when we are in that place, we don't remember God, 
God remembers us. And I want to remind you that there is no emotional place so decrepit in your life that God is not able to reach you. Amen? There's no place like that where he's not there. He says, if I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. And some of you might be there right now in that season where you feel like this is it. This is the worst it's ever been. And I don't know how I'm going to get out of here. This is a great reminder that there is always deliverance in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is always deliverance because even when you don't remember him, he remembers you. And because David was rescued from this place, he says, I extol you. I extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up. This is the reason underneath his praise, brothers and sisters. That's why David's praise, when you look at the Psalms, is always passionate. It's always passionate. It's never devoid of emotion. Do you realize that? That that David, he recognizes that he has been drawn up from these kind of places. Read verse 12 with me. He says, you have turned for me my mourning into dancing. Into dancing. There is passion in his praise. Brothers and sisters, there should always be a passion in our worship. There should always be a passion there, an emotion. And I'm not saying you have to look a certain way when you praise. But if this is our story as well, then there must be something in us that praises God from this deep place of rescue. Isn't that why you say you're a Christian? Isn't your story a story of rescue? Like David's. And that's why our worship is emotional. And I I do want to say this because I I feel like we're not sure what to do with emotion in worship. But I I want to tell you that at, at Mosaic, we don't blunt our emotion in worship. It's not the most charismatic place you'll go. But at the same time, we do welcome the pathos of emotion. And some of you maybe are newer Christians here or not Christians or um, this is your first time kind of in a church experience. And so you're wondering, why do these people lift their hands when they worship? Why do they close their eyes? Why, 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 why do you bow your head? Why does Josh Song get on his knees up here when he does worship? I don't know, it's just Josh here. <laughs> and I want to tell you about that. Um, when I was, uh, I remember when I was younger, my dad... He used to put butter on his rice. I thought it was really weird that he would put butter on his rice, but he did. And I would ask him, why do you put butter on his rice? It's like Asian rice, and then he put butter on top, and then he would eat it. And I thought it was really, really weird. But I do remember one time my mom told me, um, when she was talking about that, that, that my dad one time got emotional putting butter on his rice. I was like, what? was it because it tasted so horrible that he got emotional? Um, but she went on to explain to me that my dad grew up very poor on a farm in Korea. And maybe better than most of us, he knew how butter is made. That you take this much milk and resources, and then you churn it to get this much butter. And he knew what a luxury it was to have butter. And um, when he came to the States, coming from that kind of place, he would never imagine that he could just eat butter whenever he wants. And then he came to the States, and he went to the store, and he bought a tub of butter. And he would slather it on his white steaming rice. And uh, she said, yeah, one time he even got kind of emotional eating butter. You see, he knew where he came from, but I didn't know where he came from. And I had no idea why he was putting butter on his rice or why it was important to him, what it meant to him. 
You know, sometimes you're going to watch people in our service worship God, and they're going to get emotional, and they're going to raise their hands, and they're going to praise God. Some of them might even cry. Some of them might, might seem like they're in a really distraught position. But it's because, brothers and sisters, we have people in our congregation here who have survived cancer by the grace of God. We have people in our congregation who just a couple of years ago who had no idea where their life was going. Uh, we have people in our congregation who thought that they were in marriages that were not going to make it. And the Lord pulled them out. We have people in our congregation who were literally demon oppressed. And the Lord brought them out. I think that's my story too. And many of ours, many of us have been pulled out of Sheol. A woman brought a, a really expensive jar of perfume at Jesus' feet, and everybody misunderstood her. Nobody really understood why she was doing it. And the narrative that was going around is if Jesus knew her story, if Jesus knew her story, he would not let her touch his feet. He would not let her near him. And so all the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and people were saying, if he just knew her, if he just knew her story, but the thing is that they had not the faintest idea of her story. They had not the faintest idea of what she was experiencing in her heart. They didn't know her story. It was only the Lord Jesus Christ who understood that she was in a place of Sheol, that she was in a place of hopelessness, and that she was meeting her Savior for the first time. That's why she broke open that jar and extravagant worship, emotional praise, tears flowed out of her. Why do we give ourselves to this kind of worship? Because you have been saved and raised up from the pits like David has. Here, brothers and sisters, we also do this. You know, some of us, we're raising our hands in worship because we're overwhelmed with thanksgiving. Some of us were trying to give ourselves to God after a week of living for ourselves and we're like Peter coming to him saying, Lord, I know I haven't shown you, but I do love you. Others of us were raising our hands because we feel like we are in Sheol, but we still know that he can reach us. Others of us were giving him honor and praise and we feel like it's not enough to just sing. I have to like, with my body, try to give him myself. Praise, honor, and glory to your name. And some of us know that we only have three songs on a Sunday to give him the glory and honor that he deserves. If that's you, brothers and sisters, don't hold back your worship to him. Does he not deserve your praise and honor? We all in different cultures worship differently, but whatever is your expression of genuine, passionate praise... Give it to him, because he deserves every bit of it. David says, O Lord, you have brought my soul up from Sheol. You restored me to life. What about you? How many pits has he saved you from in your life? Think about it. How many pits has he pulled you up from in your life? And we, of all people, we of all people should sing the most passionate praise. Because David was speaking from a hypothetical, emotional metaphor of Sheol. 
But you and me, this is not a metaphor for us. That by the blood and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that you and me, we are not playing emotions. We are not messing with metaphors. He literally pulled us out of sin and death. This is how Peter puts it in 1 Peter 3. He said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That means praise him. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to the inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you rejoice. My brothers and sisters, in this, you rejoice. In this gospel of salvation, you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, sheols, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise. Result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. For us, this is not a metaphor. We must sing. We must sing because we have been literally pulled out of Sheol by the grace of Jesus Christ. And so we worship him. We praise him. That's why we have been pulled out of Sheol, just like David said. Now, we need to incorporate this into our lives. And I know that some of you are sitting here thinking, I do want this kind of heart of praise. And I I mean, I know, I know. But how can I? How can I? And I want to show you that in this psalm, he's not only expressing what God did for him, but he's also commanding us to form a discipline of praise in our lives. Okay, let's go to verse 4. This is what he says. He says, Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. David's not just expressing his own heart, but he's also commanding us to give him praise. He's commanding us to give him praise. Remember in Psalm 103, Psalm 103, he says it to himself. He says it to his own spirit. What does he say? Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Why don't you praise God? Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise him. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. You know, we need to form a discipline of praise in our lives Because he is worthy of it, regardless of what we're feeling. We can't leave worship up to chance. I think this is something that I've learned in my life. Uh, The discipline of praise is something that has brought my devotional life into a whole new spectrum of enjoying God. And I just want to share with you, um, for the rest of the sermon, just three disciplines that I've enjoyed that maybe I'll share with you and maybe it'll be helpful for you in your life so that you can form a discipline of praise in your life so that you're not just leaving up praise to chance. Um, Two of them are private and one is public. Uh, There are a lot of ways you could form a discipline of praise, but these are some ways that have helped me and let me just share with you, okay? Uh, One way is to have a memorial of praise, to have a memorial of praise. All three of the disciplines come out of just one verse, verse four. And if you have a Bible at the end of verse four, you'll see this little reference footnote that takes you to the bottom of your page. And that reference footnote um, for his holy name, that is literally make a memorial to his holiness. Make a memorial 
to his holiness. Now, what's the point of a memorial? Memorials in our lives are there to help you remember when you forget. And so after today, if you go on a date to New York City and you go downtown to have a meal and then you happen to pass the 9-11 memorial, all of a sudden, you remember that thousands of people died there. And you forgot. And you'll see the signs. We will never forget. The memorial is there to help you remember when you forget. You know, in the Psalms and through the Old Testament, the importance of memorials is there. And we need memorials in our lives to remind us to praise God, to remind us of his goodness and his grace. In my office where I do my devotions, I have a stack of moleskin journals that I keep on the bottom of my table. So I have a coffee table, and then I keep it not on top of the coffee table, but I keep it on the bottom of my coffee table. One of the reasons why is that I do devotions on the floor. And when I do devotions on the floor, I want it within my eyesight. The reason is I don't write physically in journals anymore, but I have a stack of something like seven or eight moleskin journals full of devotions and prayer requests and things that I have put into years and years of journaling into those journals. And I have, I I don't think I am exaggerating when when I say that I have hundreds of answered prayers in those journals, especially early in my journey with Christ waiting on him to answer me, and the Lord coming to my rescue. I have a stack of journals that are a memorial to me of his goodness in my life. And when I sit, and sometimes I'm in this place of kind of like Sheol, and I just feel like life is so draining, and I don't know what else to do. I feel like I'm at a dead end. It's a memorial of praise in my life. It's a reminder He has been so, so good to you. And even when I feel like I'm at the end of my rope, those journals remind me, Dave, there's a lot more rope left in the grace of your Lord Jesus Christ. You need memorials of praise in your life. And it could be something physical, like my journals, but it could also be something etched into your schedules. And you're going to need them, especially in those seasons when you feel locked in Sheol. When you feel like there's a finality to how bad things are, you're going to need a memorial to the Lord, a memorial of remembrance. I really encourage you to think about that, to think about what you could place in your life to move your mind to praise because he deserves it. And when those memorials remind you to praise him, this is the second discipline I want to give you. You need to sometimes just sing. You need to sometimes just sing. And let me, let me, let's go back to verse four, okay? This is what he says. Verse four says this. Sing praises to the Lord, O you saints. Now, I want to show you that that's different from just praise the Lord, O you saints. If it was just praise the Lord, I, I could say, I'm praising him in my heart. I'm praising him in my heart. You can't hear me, but I'm praising him in my heart. I'm giving him thanks in my heart. But he says, no, sing praises to the Lord. Sing And my brothers and sisters, sometimes in order to develop the discipline of praise, you just need to sing. You need to sing sometimes even before you feel the reasons to sing. And the reason is that I found that when you lose your heart of worship, which has happened to me many times, when you lose your heart of worship, sometimes the best way to get it back is just to start singing. 
praises. Because inside of those praises are locked into there, hidden away, and now I understand why God did this. Hidden away in those praises are the truths of God. And when you just start singing, even when you don't feel like it, those truths start to be delivered to your soul again. I was singing this week a song called Jaira, and the song goes, I'm already loved. I'm already chosen. I know who I am. I know that you've spoken. And that is enough. And you are enough. And because you are enough, I am enough. And those words just started to minister to me. The power of the gospel just started to minister to me. And 10 minutes ago, I was in Sheol. 10 minutes ago, I was lost. But as I just started to sing, those truths started to be delivered to me. The second discipline, I think, is just sing. Just sing. Just start in the songs. And what I found is like the first time that I sing the song, I'm not really singing it to God. The truths are coming into me. But then by like the third time I'm singing the chorus, I'm actually singing it unto God. Just sing. Just sing. I think for me, the discipline of praise in my life has been singularly the one thing that has really revived my devotional life um, in a really, really new way. And I want to tell you that in the age that you live in, you live in an age like none other. Never before in the history of the church has the, have the saints have had such a powerful resource to bring worship into your private lives. Never before in the history of the church have you been able to bring an entire worship team and chorus into your private prayer closets. Now you could do it just by going to YouTube. That's what I do. I just go to YouTube every morning. And I let the praises inhabit my room. And God inhabits his praises. Amen? Just sing first. In fact, our worship team started this month to put out the, the Sunday worship list every Sunday so that those praises can inhabit your life before you even come. So go to our link tree and you'll find it there. And every week you can start to let those songs that we're going to sing on, sing on Sunday inhabit your life. You need to develop a discipline of praise in your life, a discipline of praise, because it's going to bring color and reconnection to the Lord. The kind of thing that you've been missing, the praises of God, it's going to make a huge difference, I promise. Last thing is um, commit to communal praise. Commit to communal praise. Let's go back to verse four. He says this, sing praises to the Lord, O you saints. This is not just a command to praise to individuals, but this is a call to praise for a community of people, a community of people. And that's so, so important. Did you know that when you come here and you sing praises, that it's not just for you and God? Do you know that it's for the rest of us too? Do you remember Keeman's testimony last week? He said that there are truths about God that he could not believe until, like the Psalms say, until I entered the sanctuary of God. And I heard my brothers and sisters proclaiming those things out loud and with conviction and emotion and truth. Until I entered the sanctuary of God. And that's why we sing too, brothers and sisters. We sing for each other, to give each other the conviction of these things. Like when we sing, Hail to the King, right? When I sing Hail to the King in my room, it doesn't feel the same as when I sing it with you guys. 
And with all in one voice, we say, hail to the king. It's powerful. Together. And we have to. We have to. I just want to, I'm almost done. But verse 11 and 12, can you read this with me? There's this one theme in the Psalms. It says, we cannot be silent. Verse 11, you have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. That's something that's in the Psalms. We cannot be silent. It's wrong. It's wrong. Consider all that he's done for you. Consider how gracious he's been, how loving he's been in your sheols. It's wrong for me to stand here and not give you praise. I cannot be silent. We need to commit together, brothers and sisters, to the praise of the Lord, to the honor and glory that's due his name. No more passing the time during praise time on Sundays. No more aimless worship. We need to commit together. No more just passing the time when we do this together. Doesn't he deserve your praise and honor? Has he not brought up your soul from the depths through his son, Jesus Christ? Church, we have to cry out to the Lord again because he deserves all honor and praise. Especially if you're in Sheol right now, I just want to encourage you, cry out to him. He's there with you. There's no place that he is not. And when we sing, we encourage one another. When we just sing, sometimes even when we don't feel it, it comes to us. And when we sing, he gets the honor and glory that he deserves. Let's commit to praise together. Let's pray. Oh, Father.